So we're in a series where we've looked at a bunch of nobodies that became somebodies because they walked by faith and trusted God. We're in part 10 of our Unlikely Heroes series. Uh, So far, we've looked at David and how God used David to defeat the Philistine uh, army and then ultimately, you know, killed Goliath with a slingshot. We, We looked at Gideon and how he defeated the Midianites with 300 men and just a bunch of uh, trumpets and bowls and torches. For the last three weeks, we looked at Elijah and how he obediently followed God, stood against King Ahab and the false prophets and how God used him in a, just a really incredible way. All of these are unlikely heroes. There was nothing special about them. David was the runt of his family. His dad didn't even think to bring him up when, you know, when they were selecting who, who it might be. Uh, he didn't even think to bring his youngest son uh, he was just—he was just a runt. Uh, Gideon was a coward. He was hiding in the in the wine press, you know, grinding wheat. Um, uh, when God called him, Elijah was a rugged outdoorsman, and uh, he just simply obeyed God and did whatever God told him to do. But the character in our story today, the one I want to introduce you to today, he—he he actually was born special. Uh, he had a miraculous conception, and he had God's calling on his life from birth. Uh, God endowed this, this person with extraordinary strength. In fact, Samson is probably the strongest person who has ever lived. You say, well, then why is he an unlikely hero? Shouldn't he be in a series called Likely Heroes? I mean, that would make sense. I call him unlikely because though he was born with an incredible gift, he squandered that gift. He used his uniqueness for his own glory and satisfaction, not for the things of the Lord. He took the incredible gift that was given to him by God and he used it for his own pleasures. He was a five-talent son of God who used his gifts to fulfill his own dreams and desires and passions, but not the things of God. Samson was not a good steward of the talents that God had given him. He's a picture of a guy who had everything going for him, but he blew it. God put incredible power into Samson's hand, but Samson didn't learn to use it. He squandered his potential, he tarnished his reputation, and he missed the opportunity to fulfill God's purpose for his life. Samson's story is a story of failure. And yet, in spite of all the, all the failures, in the final chapter of his life, when the clo- closing credits were about to roll, he finally stepped into the purpose for which he was created. In fact, he's even commended in Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the great hall of faith in the Bible. Samson's story should be an encouragement to anyone who's ever felt like they've wasted many years of their life and now wonder, could God possibly use me? If you've ever thought it's too late for me to really accomplish anything of significance, well, then Samson's story should encourage you to see the fact that it's never too late. Your final act may bring the house down just as Samson's did. So we're going to look at this incredible story together. If you have your Bible, we're in the book of Judges, chapter 13. You can follow along in the notes. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, which was so common for them. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man named Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. 
He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, we, we just humble ourselves. And we realize, God, that without you, we can do nothing. We need you. God, we need you to fulfill the purpose in our lives and collectively to fulfill what you would have us to do as a church. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts this morning. God, that you would help us to learn some lessons from Samson in his life, both his successes and failures, Lord, that we may be able to just have some takeaways that God really challenge us. So Lord, may our eyes and our ears and our hearts be in tune with you. God, may your Holy Spirit just speak through me the words that you would have spoken this morning. And would you, would you, God, just give people ears to hear what it is you are saying to them. So Lord, we dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So God entrusted Samson with a special assignment from birth. He was to take the lead in delivering Israel from the Philistines. Now, God didn't say he would deliver, deliver Israel from the Philistines through Samson. He said that, that Samson would take the lead in that. He was the initial domino, so to speak. He had a role to play. He had a position to fill that one day would lead to uh, Israel overcoming the Philistines. So part of this Part of this special assignment was this unique calling where Samson was called to be a Nazarite from birth. A Nazarite is a person who is distinguished by three things. They could not drink wine, uh, they could not touch a dead animal or anything dead, and they could not cut their hair. I don't really know the reasoning or the significance of these things, but these are the things that God said that Samson was not allowed to do. So we see young Samson was born. Verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy named Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in uh, Mahane, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtal. So as we close out chapter 13, we move into chapter 14 and we just kind of fast forward. So he is born in chapter 13 and then boom, we move right along to the place where Samson wants to get married. Verse one, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Well, good news for Samson, he found a young lady. The bad news is she was of the Philistines. I grew up listening to 70s and 80s country music. Any of my people here this morning? Yeah, okay, yeah, right, very good. Johnny Lee had a song called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, right? That could be Samson's life story right there. That's his, that's his song, you know? The Israelites were forbidden by the law of God to marry foreign women. Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 6 made that crystal clear. So Samson's parents tried to talk some sense into him. Verse 3, it says, his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman from among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? So clearly God had said no. His parents said no. What did Samson say? Verse 3, Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, I think Samson's father shows great restraint here. I don't know that I would have handled it too well if my son just came and said, get her for me. Uh, but that's the way he, he did. He'd made up his mind that she was his girl and, and that there was no other. 
And so verse four, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now, verse four can be a little confusing. At first blush, it sounds as if God was making an exception here for Samson to be able to marry a foreign woman, which of course would violate the law of God. So what gives? Well, God plans to use Samson for his purpose uh, even, even if that means leveraging Samson's own rebelliousness and foolishness. Samson could not escape God's call in his life even when he was directly disobeying God's commands. That doesn't mean that God was blessing him for his sin, rather in spite of his sin. God was able to use Samson's sin to accomplish his will. Now, had Samson not sinned by going after the Philistine woman, surely God would have found a different way for Samson to accomplish his will. But this marks the first step in Samson's slippery slide to self-sabotage. For those who feel like good sermons need to have alliteration. (laughs) As we see this played out in his life, Samson was strong with men, but weak with women. He had great physical strength, but little internal character. There was a lack of alignment between who Samson portrayed himself to be and who he really was on the inside. Samson's life is a cautionary tale to all of us to be careful of what you set your eyes and your heart on. Samson had so much potential, but he couldn't control his desires. So Samson did indeed marry the young lady from Timnah. And while he was on his way down Uh, to the wedding, actually, a lion came roaring to him. And the power of God came on him, and he was able to kill the lion with his bare hands. Now, that's a pretty incredible feat right there, if you ask ask me. I've seen Animal Planet, you know, and I've seen these these lions. There is no way in the world I would want to be face-to-face with one of them, let alone have to wrestle it. And he killed it with his bare hands. So later, he gets down there. He's to marry this young lady from Timnah, and he And he's going down there and he sees that uh, bees have gone into the carcass of this lion that he had skilled. So he scooped out some honey, ate it, liked it. But in doing so, he broke what? His Nazarite vow, right? He touched something that was dead. So then later at the wedding feast, uh, he makes this riddle. It's a big wedding party and there's 30 men uh, that are there, uh, that are really uh, his, his fiance's friends. And he gives a challenge to them, a riddle, so to speak, to see if they can get it figured out. Verses 13 and 14 says, tell us your riddle, they, they said, let us hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. Well, people couldn't figure that out. Uh, you know, they didn't know what it was. And so they went to his, his wife and said, you gotta find out. You get to find this out. And they went to her over and over again. And she, for seven days, she cried and she moaned and she, she weeped and she was, she was upset. And, and so finally on the seventh day, Samson tells her the answer to the riddle. And then what did she do? She immediately went out and told the people so that they could solve the riddle. Well, verse 18, it says, before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town uh, said to him, what is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? So they solved the riddle. But Samson was furious. And he said one of the most interesting statements. Samson said to them, verse 18, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. (laughs) Gentlemen, I warn you against using this (laughs) in any circumstance at all. 
I don't care what has happened. Do not use this phrase. It will not go well for you. Samson was ticked. Verse 19, then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Wow. He killed 30 men, stole their clothes, and gave those clothes to his wife's friends. And then to top it off, his wife was given to one of his companions. Imagine for just a moment if he had just simply walked past that lion, saw the honey and said, that looks good, but I'm not supposed to touch that and just kept walking, right? Imagine if he had just done that. There'd have been no riddle. There'd have been no death. He wouldn't have lost his wife. One seemingly small decision can have huge consequences. So often we think it's the big decisions we make that trip us up, but I'm telling you, it's usually the small ones. It's the small stone in our shoe that knocks us out, not the big boulders that get in our path. One small decision can have huge consequences. When my wife and I got married, we sat down and we discussed how we were going to go about making decisions in our marriage. And we determined that she would make all the small decisions and I'd make all the big decisions. And in 30 years, we haven't had one big decision. It's been incredible. So after time, Samson goes back to Timnah to be with his wife and the situation goes from bad to worse. Verse, now we're in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. <laughs> like, wow, how would you like to be the older sister, you know? It's like, gee, thanks, Dad. <clears throat> These are the kind of crazy things that happen when you live outside of God's law. Samson is going through all of these things because he broke God's law. He shouldn't have married the Philistine woman to begin with. They had different morals, they had different values, they had a different belief system than the children of Israel did. And we see throughout his life that one bad decision just leads to another. I'll check this out, verse three. Samson said to them, the time... This time, I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. Let me just pause here for a minute. <laughs> I couldn't catch one fox, you know? Seriously, I mean, even if they were just walking towards me, I couldn't catch one, let alone he caught 300 foxes. It says that he tied them tail to tail. Now, I remember, I remember I was in my 20s, and it was the first time as a pastor I had preached on this passage. And so whatever, for whatever reason, in my mind, I had this visual that he would take one fox, take the other fox, grab them by the tails, put their tails together, and tie their tails in a knot. And in my mind, I'm like, how do you get that knot to stay? You know, like, how do you get that cinched tight enough that it's even like, how does that work? And it just didn't make any sense to me. And, but anyhow, that's the way I preached it. 
And after I got done, an older man came up to me. and said, well, you know, preacher, you could tie the tails together with a piece of rope. <laughs> oh, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> so much more sense. I'm going to go with that in the future. He fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain and together with the vineyards and the olive groves. Unbelievable. For those who like trivia, this is the first instance of tail lights in recorded history. <laughs> Nevertheless, you've got to appreciate Samson's creativity here. But you know this is not going to go over well with the Philistines, right? Verse 6, when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Mercy. Verse 7, Samson said to them, since you acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. So he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the Rock of Edom. Now, his actions had gotten his wife and her father killed. You just see this pattern in Samson's life. It's a cycle of death. Just everywhere he goes, bad things are happening. One bad decision leads to another bad decision. And uh, so many innocent people have been hurt and killed in the crossfire here. And friends, we see so much of this happening today in our world. Anger, resentment, bitterness and revenge, it just leads to further and further heartache and pain. The sad consequences of these behaviors lead to broken homes and shattered dreams and senseless tragedy. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this in James 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Friends, we need to break the cycle of sin in our families. We need to begin to show love and demonstrate kindness and forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Parents, you need to set the godly example for your kids. Let grace and mercy be the character traits that your kids and grandkids see in you. When you're wronged, even when people do something wrong to you, you respond the right way. The violence in our streets and in our cities today is eventually going to lead to the breakdown of our society if we do not change. Racial tension is on the ride. Class warfare is on the rise. Armed conflict is becoming commonplace. On a larger scale, I don't think we've been closer to global war than we are today. We live in an era of escalating tension where for each action there's an even bigger reaction. We see it with the bullies in school who are randomly beating other kids. We see it in the streets where thugs just walk past innocent people and punch them or hit them in the head with a rock or push them into an oncoming train. In politics, the vitriol and the hatred just fire back and forth. There doesn't seem to be any interest in coming to any kind of a common ground. Instead, we just are in attack mode 24-7. And if these behaviors and attitudes do not change, we're going to end up in terrible conflict. Our, our story won't read much different than Samson's story. They did this, so we did that, so then we went here, and then that happened. And, and before long, it's just a disaster. And as Christians, we need to pray for peace. We need to work towards reconciliation. We need to help find solution to these problems that are facing our country, not participate in the hatred. 
I believe this all starts in homes as we model this behavior for our kids and our grandkids. In Samson's day, there was no peacekeeper. And so things continued to go from bad to worse. We pick it up in verse 11. Then 3,000 men from Judah, so this would have been Samson's own people, went down to the cave of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? They're in charge around here. What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Doesn't that sound like a five-year-old in the playground? They started it. Verse 12. So the men of Judah said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and then hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with new ropes and led him up from the rock. So basically the men of Judah say, you're going to have to face the Philistines for what you've done. We're going to deliver you to them. I think they were probably getting a little tired of Samson's shenanigans. Verse 14. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes of his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramah Lehi. I can't even imagine a scene where this would happen and how a person could kill a thousand people. Can you imagine how exhausting that would be? I mean, how difficult that would be. And yet the Spirit of God came upon him, and in his strength, he killed a thousand people with a jawbone. Well, I believe God was using Samson here to teach the Philistines a lesson. And he was setting in motion the initial steps that would ultimately lead to the downfall of the Philistines. After this, Samson became a judge in Israel and he led the nation for 20 years. And a judge in the Old Testament is different than we think of a judge. It isn't somebody that just wears a black globe. During Samson's time, the judges were the, the leaders of the people. They presided over the affairs of the nation, over the Israelites. This occurred between the interval of the death of Joshua and the rise of King Saul. This was an era of anarchy and confusion. And as we're going to see next week, Samson's days as a playboy are not over. He falls in love with a pretty girl and things go from bad to worse. So make sure you're here next week to hear the rest of the story. But as we begin to wrap things up today, <clears throat> I just want to say that Samson was a man of great physical strength. Yet he displayed great moral weakness. Who you are on the inside is more important than who you portray yourself to be on the outside. Samson played with fire and he got burned. He ignored God's rules and he paid the price. So you and I should learn some valuable lessons from Samson so that we don't follow in his footsteps. Let me give you three and I'll wrap up. Number one, live within the guardrails God has placed in his word. Live within the guardrails God has placed in his word. You see, God's rules are there for your benefit, not to steal your joy. They're there so that you can live a blessed life, 
so that you can live in accordance with God's ways, which is always a less stressful and better lifestyle for all. Secondly, like Samson, we've all been gifted in some way. Don't squander the gift that God has given you for your own benefit. Your purpose in life is far greater than the American dream. God wants to use you to do something significant. As followers of Christ, we've been commissioned as ambassadors of Jesus to take the gospel to the end of the world. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have that calling. You're an ambassador, I'm an ambassador. We all are part of the Great Commission. Don't squander the gift that God has given you. And the third lesson I think we see here this morning is that failure is not final. God can and will use you for his glory even if you've made some big mistakes. So don't quit, don't give up. Don't say, well, you know, I can't be used by God because I did this or I did that in my past. You're gonna see next week that in spite of his failures and in spite of his disobedience, God used Samson to accomplish his will. So if you've hesitated in getting involved because you don't think you're qualified because of something you've done in the past, can I just say that just about every character in the Bible has a chapter and their history that they wish they could erase. And probably every person in this room, if there was a magic eraser that you could go back to a particular era in your life and erase that chapter, you would. But can I tell you, you can't. But you can receive God's forgiveness and you can move on in spite of that. Do not let that hold you back. The accuser of the brethren, the devil, he loves to bring it up and he'll throw it in your face and he'll discourage you and he'll, he'll say all these things. But Jesus said, I died on the cross to pay for that. You've got my righteousness on you. You don't have to worry about that. So don't let, don't let your past keep you from doing what God may be calling you to do today. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to seek God's forgiveness if you haven't already done that. But once you've done that, move forward in the grace, mercy, and love of God and fulfill the purpose for which he created you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you use us in spite of us. God, I'm sure each one of us here in this room today have chapters in our life that we just wish were gone, that never happened. But God, I'm so grateful that every day is a new day, that your mercies are new every morning, that God, you do forgive us, you do restore the joy of our salvation, you do create within us a clean heart. And God, we can be used by you to do something of significance in our lives in spite of what we've done. So God, may we learn from Samson, not follow in his footsteps and not make all the mistakes he made, but God, may we learn from his life and the bad example that he set so that we don't make those same mistakes and God, that we can move forward and God, that you would use each person, each man, woman and child in this room to do something of significance for your honor and for your glory in this life. God, help us not to squander that which you've given us 
you have entrusted to each one of us certain skills and certain gifts and certain talents. God, help us not to bury them. Help us not to forsake them. But God, help us to deploy them. Lord, we know that your return is soon. And God, we look forward to that day. But until then, God, may we accomplish your purpose in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. And thank you, God, for your amazing grace. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.